Go ahead and open with prayer. Lord, we just thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and, and just to see how much you love us and care for us and what you do for us when we're saved. And, and we just thank you and ask for your guidance and leading. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, today we're going to be looking at joint heirs, and we're going to start in Romans 8, 17. And we all know what an heir is. An heir is somebody that gets something uh, from their family as an inheritance. And I know I will never have anybody giving me any inheritance that I know of, unless I've got some rich relative that to me that will never have an inheritance. But Romans 8, 17, and it says, let's start at verse 16. Spirit itself bears witness in our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So we look at this, and, and it says, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And we've talked about that. You know, When you are saved, you know that you know that you are God's child. And I've talked to many, many people who say who will claim to be a Christian, and don't know what it means to be a Christian. Uh, you know, you'll ask them, "Well, what makes you, you know, what makes you sure that you're a Christian?" And I go, "Well, I just hope that I do enough good, good, or I'm born in America, or I went to church, I go to church every, <laughs> every week." And they'll give you all the reasons except I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and and He's forgiven me of my sins. And so we want to look at this. The Spirit bears witness. In most of my life, I have never had any problem knowing that I am saved. The only time I really had a problem knowing I was saved when was when I turned away from the church. <laughs> and that was because I wasn't in God's Word. I wasn't praying. I wasn't doing anything. And at that point, I had some questions. Uh, but even then, I knew in the back of my mind, I am saved. I am saved. There's no question to it. And this is where we want to be, be. God bears witness with us. And it's important for us to know. Very important for us to know. Because nobody can tell us <laughs> that we're saved. You know, we can look at somebody and they may look like they've got their act together for a period of time. And Jesus talks about it with the parable of the sower of the seed. Some fell on the path and it was immediately gobbled up. You know, didn't even didn't even try to show anything. Some fell in the shallow soil and it sprung up looking good and then some heat, the heat came on and it proved that it wasn't really a producing vine. Or some fell into rocks and the cares of the world is what it calls and was choked out. And it is easy. People can look like they're saved for short periods of time. Uh, and they will go on and they'll be in their Bible, they'll come to church and some people leave even doing it for a long period of time because they put themselves under the law, under works. And, but if we are his children, then we are heirs. We have an inheritance. And then it, we look at this verse and it says, first, heirs of God. Okay, and then you want to think about this. That means that we have an inheritance from God. God owns everything. And if he wants to, he'll just create more, more wealth. You know, he just speaks it into existence, and there it is. Uh, people who are rich think they've got, you know, got it, got it made. But God says, "You've got nothing. <laughs> You've got nothing." And God, we are the heirs of God. We we want to grab hold of that, the heirs of God. He has everything at 
ready for us. And we just need to be ready to ask. Ask him for things. And he doesn't, like we've said this before, that doesn't mean he's a piggy bank. The ATM machine might be even better. You know, not an ATM machine just passing out, <laughs> passing out everything we ever wanted. But he gives us what we need and that's what his promise is. He'll supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. But he also is willing to supply some of our wants, just as any good parent wants to do for their children. You know, if there's a parent who never wants to give their kids anything, I would say they're not a good parent. You know, now, can we always give them what we'd like to give them? No, no we, we may not have that kind of funds. But we do have this desire to give things. that We, we definitely want to give our kids everything they need. Clothing, food. Uh, and then we, you know, a good parent has a desire, maybe not the ability, but the desire to give their kids some of what they want. But we did things for the kids that the kids wanted. And God is there with us. He wants to give us some of our desires of our heart. And if you read through Psalms, you see it over and over that God gives desires. Now, is he going to give us everything we desire? No. Is he going to think, give us things that we will totally use upon our own existence? Probably not. He wants to be glorified. He wants to be honored. <clears throat> so he's going to give us wants, uh, and, but he's definitely going to give us all of our desire, all of our needs. And so it's very important. He is the God that his children, which we've talked about in the past, and we are his heirs, which means he's going to let us have things. And most importantly, it says, and in case we didn't understand it the first time, Paul goes on to say, you know, you, you are then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. So in case you haven't figured this out, your children, your heirs, your heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. So everything that Jesus is getting, we have a, we have a share in this. Joint heirs is, but in heaven we'll have everything we want. Down here he just gives us that little taste, the taste of the wants. You know, God, we need this, you know, we need this, please give it to us, and God provides it. And, you know, it's amazing how great God is about giving us our needs. We honor him and he pours back to us. And we're told in the Old Testament, he gives us shake down and pressed down, shaken together. And we give and he says you can't outgive God. And that's a good statement. Okay, I don't want to use it as those who are naming and claiming it because they'll say, give to God, you know, give God your $10 and he'll give you 100 No, not necessarily. But we give to God and he meets our needs. We give to God and he stretches our money. I can't tell you how many times I've had my money stretched. You know, when I look at it, I look back over a month and say, where did all that money come from? Or how did I pay all my bills? And it's like, God did it. I honored him with, with tithes and offering, and he honored, the, honored me by getting my bills paid. And sometimes in ways that I can't even imagine how he does it. I'm waiting for this month to happen, <laughs> especially after I fixed the car for much more than I thought it was going to cost. But God is, I know it's in God's control, and I know he'll get it taken care of. Because we are his children. He's not going to let his children go destitute. Does that mean we're going to uh, you know, not have hard times? No, we can have some very hard times. You know, look at Paul. Paul. Paul said, I've learned to be thankful in much and in little. So there was times when Paul had much, and there was times when he had little. And we each will go through those times of much and little. And the key is to be content. Be content with what God gives us. Yeah. Would I like to have more? Obviously, I'd like to have more. 
Would, would every one of us in this room like to have more? Probably. Is it good for us to have more? It may or may not be. God knows where we're at at this moment. Heirs, we're joint heirs with Jesus. And this is going to be the case. We suffer with Christ or because of Christ so that we can be glorified or approved. And I love this idea. He gives us glory because of our suffering. And the question we always have to go is, when we are suffering, do we complain? <laughs> Unfortunately, most of the time it's true that we complain. We should be looking at it, okay, God, you've decided that this is for me. This is for me, and there is glory to be happening. And the glory comes when we suffer without, and we see how God rewards us. And usually we're busy complaining and griping, and we won't see the glory. But when we just take and listen to it and say, God, it's yours. I'm suffering for and you're allowing it. And we've talked about this. How did the disciples, at least in the scriptures, <laughs> I'm sure they griped and complained at times too, but the stories that we have about them is when they suffered, they gave God glory for being willing, for being worthy of suffering for Christ. The question for us is, do we have that same mindset? And probably not often enough. Probably not often enough. And I'm sure that the disciples, they were human. There were times, you know, we get the, we get the statements where they're in the jail and, 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 and praising God. But I'm sure there were times when they wallowed in pity and, and didn't, didn't glorify as well because they were human. You know, they're not recorded, but I'm absolutely sure that there were times when that happened to them because there's times when we have glorified God and say, thank you, God, that you're, you're, I'm worthy of this test. And then there's other times where we say, man, this is so miserable. How could God... <laughs> Of abandoned me and let me go through all of this and so it really comes down to where are we where are we spiritually when we're going through these things because it is easy to complain so easy to complain and we're told in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you and I love that in everything not in the good times not when everything looks good but in everything give thanks and it all comes down to where is my mind when this is all going on? Am I looking and saying, thank you, God, I'm worthy of suffering? Or and am I complaining? Now, if I brought it on myself, I still need to be thankful. Because at that point, God, thank you that you didn't take me out of this world and, or, or harm me more. Because he could have done much more than whatever he's done. Because anything short of death is, could be bad. And I've shared with you, I used to tell everybody, the worst thing you can do for me is almost kill me. You know, because if they kill you, you go home. And if they almost kill you, you've got to suffer. And so this is what he's saying. We will suffer. If we suffer for God, then we will be approved and glorified in Christ Jesus as well. And this is a great blessing when you really think about it. Am I worthy of suffering? Am I living a life that makes me worthy of suffering? You know, and then for our case in point, we look at Job. <laughs> you know, Job's running along, rich, ha all happy, praising God, making his sacrifices all the time, making sac extra sacrifices for his kids, which is not something that meant anything, but he was so caring for his whole family that he's going to say, I'm going to offer sacrifices in case my kids have sinned. 
And all of a sudden, you know, Satan comes along and God's, you know, and Satan is wanting to tempt and God says, well, you know, Satan hasn't even mentioned him. He goes, are we ones living in a way that God can say, have you considered my servant <laughs> and place your name in there? Are we living in a life that God can do that with us? Or is it something that Satan says, oh, don't worry about them at all. We will suffer trials. <laughs> we will suffer temptations. Why? Not usually even because of our flesh, but because if we're following God, God's going to want to say, okay, Satan, test them. See if what they believe is really, do they really believe it? And that's what I, you know, in the Truth Project, I love Del Tackett's, do you really believe that what you believe is really real? <laughs> you know, and that is a true statement. God is going to test us to see, do we really believe what we say we believe? And it's a critical test. It's a critical test for us because we need to go through that. We need to go through the testing of what do we believe. We want to be in a place where we are ready to give thanks. And part of it means that we know that, number one, that testing is coming. Okay, if we know that testing is coming, when the test comes, we're not going to be surprised and think that, oh, woe is me. The time we really get shocked and knocked off our feet is when we forget the tests are coming. And all of a sudden, a test comes along, and it's like, bang, you're knocked over, and it's like, okay, uh, what's going on here? And that is one of the first thing. First, we need to know that the test is coming. Number one, we know the test is coming, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able to withstand and will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape. That way of escape is God. <laughs> okay? Uh, and that's what people have to understand. I in my flesh will not pass the test that God sends my way. He wants my flesh to fail. If I'm standing in my flesh, I will fail the test. But if I'm walking in the Spirit and God is the one helping me through the test, I will pass the test. And this and his test, and we've talked about that his tests are always designed to make us fail in the flesh. Always. Because he doesn't want us standing in the flesh. He needs us to stand in Him and be victorious. And then when we're victorious, He, he approves of us. Think about that. Approves us. Isn't that what most people always want is somebody to give them approval? I, I had a guy in one of my jobs before I learned how to be a really good manager. The kid just had to have approval. Didn't matter what it was. Just had to have somebody say, good job. And... Back in those days, I was the type of person who was, you showed up for work, great, you know, we pay you. <laughs> you know, I wasn't big on p giving people praise for doing the minimum <laughs> amount of work, and, and he just had to have praise. And it was the hardest thing for me to be able to tell this guy, good job, thank you. you know, because my, my mindset was, we're, we're paying these people for their minimum job. I'm, I, I had no problem if somebody went above and beyond their work, I never had a problem saying thank you, but when it was a minimum, you know, minimum requirement, it was hard to do. But it is critical. People want to be approved. And we all are that way it's some, in some way, shape, or form. We want approval. I did a good job. Somebody tell me thank you. Uh, some people are more needy than others. Some people are very self-reliant and don't need a whole lot of the, the you did a good job. And other people need it <laughs> four minutes. You're doing a good job. But God gives value in it. So I'd like to get rewards. I have the wrong reason down here, I know, but <laughs> they have some value up there. And what that will be, I don't know. 
you know, I've thought many times, you know, maybe it'll be the difference of a studio bed, you know, studio studio room in heaven, you know, at the bottom floor of of the castle or the penthouse, you know, d you know, depending on where, how much, you know, all the how many rewards you have. and that may be all it is is where do you live and how nice is your house? The studio bedroom will be good enough because it's in heaven, uh, but the penthouse would probably be a whole lot better <laughs> than the studio bedroom. So I don't know what it will mean. I don't know how it'll be. But God says there's rewards and he's got approval for us. And the greatest thing that we want to hear is when the scripture says, when we stand before God and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of, of your salvation. And I think the last thing we want to hear is, well, enter in, you, 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 you're here by grace. You know, it'll be better than goodbye, you're headed to hell, but we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. And so God says he, he wants to glorify us together. And then verse 18 says, For I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. When we are victorious, when we've walked in the strength of him, the, it is a testimony before people on this world, and it's going to have some, some reward in heaven. And we, again, we don't know what that is, but it will be great. And the one thing we want to keep in this verse doing is I reckon that the suffering of this present time, life is short in this world. <laughs> now, even if we manage to live to 200 years old, which we can't seem to do, but even if we did, the time in this life is short. And we need to keep that in mind because that helps give us victory. You know, no matter how long I suffer, it's short. Even if I suffered tremendously for the full time, life it's still just a short time when compared to heaven uh, and we sing this song amazing grace and it says 10,000 years <laughs> you know, which in that day and age 10,000 was a big big number in our day we'd probably if we were writing the song in this day and age we'd probably say you know 10 million or 10 billion or 10 trillion years you know but even if you were to throw in the biggest number we know of 10 googleplex years it's still just beginning just beginning when we get to heaven because time no longer exists you know, you know the biggest number you can possibly think of time is just starting and it's going to keep going and compared to this world <laughs> which is just a fleeting you know you think about that in a in, in a googleplex years away you look back at this what was that spec back there that, that determined my eternity and this is the thing that amazes me a very short period of time determines where somebody's going to spend eternity. You know, whether it's heaven or hell, eternity is determined by just a few handful of years, and even even worse, it it's down to one second of that period of time when you made a decision for or against God. Now, if you've made that choice for Him, then it's that one second is good. If you have it, it's whatever number of that you've decided to do, you know, times you've given up. But it won't add up to a whole lot of time. It won't add up to a lot of time, and it's those, those little messages that you heard and rejected, or the message that you finally accepted, changed your eternity. A second of time, a decision that changes eternity. And we need to spend time sharing the gospel with people. They need to hear the gospel. 
It's why we do the parade and the tracks. It's why we encourage people to just share with people. Get them to church so they can hear the message, but ideally we need to get them where they're at. Because sometimes it's hard to get people to come to church. So at that time, we need to learn to be able to just give the gospel. You know, and I love the question. When I ask somebody, you know, are, you know, are you a Christian? Or I'm getting to where I go, are you headed to heaven? Whenever they say yes, I ask them, how do you know? Why do you know? What is the basis of, what, of that decision? Because it's critical. It is critical, especially in this country where you'll get people telling you they're a Christian all the time just because they are born in America. We're getting less of that as the country gets more and more away from God. But I can remember in the 70s and 80s, the answer almost was always, well, I'm an American. Of course I'm a Christian. Well, no, I don't. <laughs> you know, God doesn't have any grandchildren. Or uh, my, where you ask them, they go, well, my grandfather was a pastor. I go, well, that's fine, but what about you? <laughs> you know, and we hear all these kind of excuses God does not have grandchildren. He only has children. We all have to make a decision for him. And it's important. And statistics tell us that after 12 years old, it's very hard for somebody to come to Christ. When they're, a child, when they're, when they're children, they come to Christ fairly easy. After 12 years old, it's much harder. Now, I sometimes think the decisions are better when they're older because we usually get a better, better person that has made a real decision instead of just growing up. I'm not going to deny you the kids. I want the kids as well because <laughs> they're easy and then we can train them. But we want to get adults. We need to get adults saved and the kids. We need to get everybody. You know, there's some number out there that's going to trigger the rapture. When that last person gets saved, God's going to say, okay, time is up. So we need to get out there and save as many people that we can so we can have the rapture and go home. So get out there and lead people to Christ. Verse 7. Wherefore, art, wherefore you are no longer a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. Howbeit then, when you knew not God, you did service unto them which are by nature no gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather known of God, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? So this is that statement. Let's go back to 6. We'll read 6 too just to give us a little bit of context. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And we've talked about this just a couple weeks ago in the, in the morning service, but God allows us to call him Daddy, or at least an intimate relation, whatever that intimate relationship of a father's to you and he says because of, of that he says because we were able to call him daddy where we are no longer servants servants bondage in bondage to the law that's what this context of, of Galatians is all about in bondage to the law but a son we talked about this when we we're talking about sonship is that means offspring literally an offspring of God and if a son, then we are heirs of God through Christ. And this is that beauty again. We get, we get the privilege of calling, being intimate with the creator of the universe, the Father. 
being able to go into the throne room of God, being able to spend time with him, and we're no longer under the bondage of the law. And we've talked many times about the bondage of the law. You know, and all the law was there was to prove that we're sinners, that we couldn't keep the law, that we deserved the punishment that God was going to place on us. And this is important for us to understand. And this is when we're sharing the gospel, people have to understand that they are a sinner. You know, and that's the first part, because you can't just say, God, come into my life and save me if you're not being saved from anything. And they have to understand that they are a sinner and the penalty for sin is death. Eternal death, separation from God. And when you think about that, we were created to have fellowship with God, to spend eternity without what you were created to be with is going to be a torment. And then on top of that, he calls it the lake of fire, and there's the, the worm that turns, which is our conscience getting in, getting in and saying, you know, re revealing all the times. When somebody goes to hell, they're going to know that they deserved it, deserved it because of the times they rejected God. Now, they may not really realize that they're rejecting God here, but God, when they're punished, he will be showing them he any comfort to them that they chose it, but they're going to know that they're there because it was their choice. There's not going to be anybody in hell that can say, I'm here and I don't know why. You know, God will point out at the white throne judgment, he's going to show them every opportunity they had to accept Christ. Because remember, they're not being sent there because of their sins. Jesus paid for their sins. They're there for rejecting Jesus and his righteousness. And they're going to be shown, here's where you rejected, here's where you rejected, here's where you rejected. And I shared with each other, we want to make sure that we're not guilty of anybody's blood, period, but especially family and friends. Because a lot of times I hear, well, I don't want them to not think I'm a, I'm a, uh, to think I'm a nut and not want to be around me. So you want them to spend eternity in hell because you don't want them to maybe reject you on this world. Not a good place to be. I've had many of my family that have rejected Jesus, Jesus. But I know that they've been shared Jesus. And it's sad to me that some of them have rejected. I'm happy for those who, who didn't. But God is this to get us. And he says, we're not servants of this, but we are sons and daughters. Children would probably be a better spot on that, on that verse. And if we're a child, then we are an heir of God through Christ. Because of what Christ did, we are heirs. And this is what we have to realize. We are acceptable to God only because of grace. Grace, the power of grace. And without grace, we would have nothing from God because grace is getting everything we don't deserve. And that means all of the riches of God and the, the righteousness of Christ, going to heaven, being able to come before God's throne, all the things that we've been talking about, all these things that we talk about that we have because of who God is is in our life. Start at verse 26. For, for you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you will be in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And who remembers what that promise is? A great nation. A great nation. 
be those who curse you will be cursed and those who bless you will be blessed all the all the abraham promise we are takers of it does not mean that the church has replaced israel and that's called replacement theology don't ever fall into not replacing israel but we are being brought into the blessing of israel and it's a very narrow distinction but there's a lot of churches that will teach the church has replaced israel is god is done with israel god is not done with israel he won't be done with israel until the end of the tribulation period of seven years when he tries them you know and in, in with this with uh, satan coming into their presence that will be the end of israel at the end of the seven years israel okay god's done and and we'll go forward but until that time god is not done with israel the fact that he put Israel back in their country, in their land, shows that he's not done with them. No other country, no other people group has ever gone so long, you know, what was it, uh, 1900 years, and stayed as a people. And Israel's done a good job of staying as Hebrews, Jews, because of the Old Testament and their rules. Do they follow everything out there? No, but they're still a very tight-knit people with great things that are saying, this is who we are. And they've managed to do that through years and years and millennia of suffering that they've gone through and persecution and trials and troubles. And we, because of we are in Christ, we are brought into heirs of that promise. And it's very, very interesting to do this very interesting for that to happen that god says we are brought into one family and he says there's neither jew nor greek bond or free male or female he goes there's no distinctions in god's family mostly because we're all his bride we're all made one to be his bride where we'll be in for eternity the bride of christ the one body the church the the church that draws all people together titus chapter 3 right after 2 Timothy. Titus 3, verse 7. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And what is justification? Very important that we understand justification. Otherwise, this verse doesn't mean a thing. We've talked about it before. Justification is God's declaration that we are perfect. A judicial declaration from the courts of heaven that we are perfect perfect we have the righteousness of Christ it is the it is and justification is the foundation of everything that we have for salvation because God judicially in heaven declares that we're perfect and remember this is what I've talked about. this is our this is our strength when Satan comes knocking on our door to tell us how bad we are we can say God's declared us as perfect I am bad. Yes, I am bad. I'm terrible. I'm wicked. I'm, 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 not, I'm not worthy of anything. But God has declared me perfect. He has put on me the righteousness of Christ. And when he looks at me, he sees perfection. That's justification. It is the first step of salvation. Does anybody remember the three steps? We've talked about them a couple of times. Justification. He declares me perfect. Sanctification, and what sanctification? Learning to be perfect. And then glorification, when we die or are raptured, and we end up in heaven, and God makes us who he said we were in the beginning. What is that one? Glorification. Oh, he makes oh, us yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. 
So the three parts of salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification. God declares me perfect. He starts making me perfect. And then he will finish the work upon my death and say, you are perfect. So we become what he said we were in the beginning. Okay? Very important for us to get that concept because if you don't and you're reading the scriptures, you can start mixing things up. And there's a lot of churches that, that go into glorification and say we're perfect and then have problems when we sin. <laughs> because they say, well, God made us perfect. It says so right here. Well, no, that verse talks about <laughs> when we die or we are being sanctified and they get stuck in, the, stuck in that and forget about how you are, are, are declared perfect. Those who believe that you can lose your salvation are forgetting the first part of salvation, that we are declared perfect by grace. And this is why we as Baptists and, and the, believe that you are eternally secure. Once you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are justified, you are put in Christ, and God says you are perfect. Now we know we're not perfect, ways from perfect, but God says we're perfect. And he looks at us as perfect. And then he starts teaching us to be perfect. And it'll take us the rest of our life to become anywhere anywhere a quarter of an inch close to perfection. Or maybe a little further. But we'll never get to be perfect until we are glorified. So he says that being justified by grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Our justification is the reason that we have eternal life. And I've, and I've said before, eternal life is eternal life. It's not eternal life until God decides that we've done something bad enough to kick us out. <laughs> and this is why one of the reasons I cannot believe people ever believe that you can lose your salvation because that makes God an Indian giri, gives you eternal life, and then decides to take it away, which means that he lied to you because you never had eternal life. God can't lie, <laughs> and he's not going to take his rewards away from us. So we, when we get eternal life, we have eternal life. By definition, it won't be taken away. Because it starts not the moment we die, eternal life starts the moment we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We have eternal life from that moment forward. And we're not going to lose it. God's not going to take it away. He's not going to say, oh, you did it now. You, you were just so bad, I got to take it away from you. Because Jesus paid it. It's by grace. And we got to, this is, I, I hammer on this a lot, grace. <laughs> because grace is so important for us to understand. God's grace. He gives us to us. Or the acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. We get all of God. We are joint heirs with Christ because of grace. And there's nothing I do to earn, earn anything that he gives me. And because I can't earn it, I can't unearn it because it had nothing to do with me in the first place. And this is why it's important. It didn't have anything to do with me, so therefore I can't do anything that says, okay, you don't deserve it anymore. Well, I never deserved it in the first place. And we, we want to get that through to people. Nothing about salvation is earned. Nothing about salvation is deserved. If I get what I deserve, I'm in trouble. And, I, I, and when people tell me, I just, want, I, I just want what I deserve, I go, no, you don't want what you deserve. Because that means that you'll be in hell for the rest of eternity. You don't want what you, want, what you deserve. You want God's grace. You want his mercy. You want his justification. Chapter 6. All right.
Titus, Philemon, and Hebrews. Okay. Chapter 6, verse 17. Wherein God, willingly more abundant to show unto his heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. God abundantly, abundantly, over and above is what it literally says. Over and above, he wanted to show his heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. Heirs, us, his children, his heirs. Immutability. You guys know what immutability it means. Doesn't change. God does not change. His counsel does not change. We look into the scriptures and God gives sometimes, you know, we start at the beginning and some people will say that God's changed between the Old Testament. No, but he's given us greater knowledge, greater understanding. He's given us deeper knowledge. The law was there to bring us to God. But even in the Old Testament, they weren't saved by keeping, excuse me, the Old Testament, they weren't saved by keeping the law. They weren't saved by offering the sacrifices. They were saved by the faith they placed in what God told them to do. The picture of Jesus, the, the sacrifices were made. The, the law showed them that they were sinners. The sacrifice showed them that there was a greater sacrifice to come because the blood of, of bulls and, and sheep would not forgive sin. And they knew that. They knew it was a picture of something greater. They didn't know what the picture was. They didn't know it was a picture of the Messiah coming coming down to pay the debt, but they knew that it was a picture of something greater. They understood that it was more. They didn't understand what it meant. Then we get Jesus coming along and being the fulfillment of the law, and we now look back. They looked forward to the, to the cross. We look back to the cross and the salvation that it was. And God says, he does not change. He made things deeper, and we've talked about this. The laws that God placed in, in the Old Testament were... Quite, you know, we look at them and say they were mean and violent, you know, an eye for an eye, uh, you know, uh, go kill, you know, if somebody kills one of your family members, you have the right to kill them in return. You know, God's rules back then to them were just as shocking. And we've talked about this. If in Before God put the laws on the children of Israel, if somebody stole something for you, you know, the law basically said you could ride into their, into their camp, kill everybody and take everything that they everything and there was no problem with it because they stole from you whatever you kill is yours yeah and so when god said an eye for an eye he was saying you can only do equal to what was done to you and we look at it at this day and say wow that's, that's something horrible how you know how could god ever do that but compared to what they were doing to an eye was very gracious and and kind you know you could only you got you got hit three times you could only hit them three times you know it was a great restriction on what they were doing then we come to the New Testament and Jesus says, oh, by the way, I want you to forgive those who harm you. you know, not retaliate. He's making it even more strict. And then he takes the laws and says, if you have thought about it, you've committed it as far as God's concerned. He's intensifying everything. So we get more and more, we go through the scripture because God's laying a foundation from a barbaric area time they lived in he gave them what to us seems barbaric. And then he even softens it even more and says, no, I don't, even want you to, I don't even want you to have an eye for an eye. I want you to love your enemy. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Now, still in our day and age, that's a, that's a statement that 
strikes to the core of our flesh, doesn't it? <laughs> because even in our day, there's this idea of, you've been hurt, get everything you can from them. You know, we're actually going back to the previous way of doing things. Maybe not as violent. We're doing it through the courts. Like Go to this. courts and sue them until you own everything that they own, that they had. I like this. Don't even think about it. Or it's a sin. The thought, the thought is a sin. The, the desire of it is a sin. You know, and God is intensified. You know, from from practically anything goes to, to the law, which you know, which we couldn't keep, and now we, and then he comes to Jesus. In case you thought maybe you could keep the law, you know, we're going to take it even further. If you think about <laughs> having broken the law, you've broken it as far as God's concerned. Now we've talked about the the difference between thinking about something and actually doing it. There's a very big difference between the consequences, but in God's mind, you've broken it. You've broken it. And he says, I'm an immutable. I do not change. He gives us more and more knowledge as he's gone along. And you'll find the same thing as you're walking with God. He'll give you more and more knowledge of how you are to walk. And you go along and all of a sudden you'll say, God will say, apply to that area of your life. And you'll look at it and say, well, God, it's, there's not a thou shalt not. He goes, more like me. More like me than just what the scripture says. And we find that he does this over and over in our life. As we're getting deeper and deeper in him, he's going to change us and say, you can't even do this much. <laughs> and he restricts our life further in some areas. And those are those areas where you probably don't tell anybody about what you can and can't do because you can't really point to the scriptures. You just know that God said, no, you can't do it. No, you can't do it. And there's lots of areas in my life that I can't point to, a, you know, any one scripture and say, God said I can't do this, but there's lots of areas where I can't do things because God said no. And he's going to do that with each one of us. He's going to challenge us to be more like him than even what the scriptures tell us. Now, can we be legalistic and tell everybody else they've got to do it the same way? No. <laughs> can I tell everybody that fornication is absolute? The Bible very clearly says it's a sin. Can I show, tell them that homosexuality is a sin? Yes, it's very clear. It's homosexuality is a sin. Can I tell them adultery is a sin? Yes, it tells us clearly adultery is a sin. Can I tell them lying is a sin? Yeah, yeah, there's all these things we can say is a sin. Can I tell somebody that gambling is a sin? Well, it probably isn't a wise idea because God tells us to use our money wisely and be good stewards, but there is no verse that says, thou shalt not gamble. Now, there's plenty of texts that say you probably shouldn't. Same thing with doing drugs and alcohol and cigarettes. You know, there's no verse really that says don't do these other than for, for alcohol it says don't be drunk. So if you use it too much, you've crossed the line. Is it a wise thing to do? Probably not. The Bible talks about being a good steward of our body and our body being a temple. And that's, that's all between us and God. You know, and there's all these things that the Bible doesn't have clear distinction, distinctions on everything that faces us. You know, the greatest example is who should you get married to? There's no verse in the Bible that says get married to so-and-so. You know, there's just not there. You know, who, what should I do for a living? Again, there's no verse in the Bible that says you got to do this job. Otherwise, we'd have a flood of people doing that one job or two or three jobs, whatever it may be. But there's all kinds of principles in the scriptures for us to listen and to. There's scriptures on who we shouldn't marry. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't get married to somebody that's not a believer. Uh, you know, if you're looking at a job, you shouldn't be getting into a job that takes you into a sinful lifestyle. Uh, you know, there's some things where we know we shouldn't do, but there's not really a whole lot sometimes on what we have to do. And 
you can you imagine the Bible how big it would help for every single person that's ever been alive? You know, you know, Ralph Wells, your job is <laughs> you know, have a long list for the trillions of people that have been in this world over the, over the lifetime. God doesn't change. He deepens our knowledge and he will keep deepening our knowledge as we walk with him. And we get into his word and we study his word and he's going to give us greater and greater understandings. And then there will be those times when we're going to say, okay, I can't do this just because. Just because God told, told me I can't do it. And very important for us to understand that and then live under what God has told us. Thank you for this day. We thank for the opportunity that we've had to look at your word and ask you to just give us a great day. Lord, we, if we get the rain, thank you. We can use it and we just ask you to be with us in Jesus' name.